The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, It is the end of the school year. My kids get out in two days. That sounds really fun for me. I'm joking. It is going to not be that fun. I'm excited to have them home for like the first week. And then it's like, when is school starting back up? But uh, my oldest is going into eighth grade. My youngest is going into fourth grade. I don't know how this happened so fast. It's just hard. It's it's sad. Part of me is excited for them to grow up. And part of me is like, how? To, like, please stop the hands of time. I cannot take this anymore. Um, I am, I kind of said it in the last episode, I am going to be taking a couple weeks off at the end of the month. So you can listen to some repeat episodes. I have episodes going back all the way to 2020. I also would like to thank my listeners for their kind reviews. If you're so inclined to leave a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you stream, I always really, really appreciate it. You can also subscribe for bonus content on Patreon. And I that's it. I don't have very exciting things, except I'm going to reiterate my, my passionate love for the month of pride and how important it is to support other people in these really trying times right now. Um, I think it's a scary time in our country and I will continue to be an ally to the gay community until the day I die. My best friends are gay. Um, and I think 
that it's important to stand up and not let what's happening in our world don't stay silent. So use your voice and pipe up. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. So I am going to introduce my guest. Her name is Jana Wilson. Hi, Jana. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. I'm good. So Jana is, and uh, her book, her new book is coming out. It's called Wise Little One, Learning to Love and Listen to My Inner Child. She is also the founder of the Emotional Healing System, an emotional healing educator, coach, and as I just said, author. When is your book actually coming out in July? Is it going to be available on Amazon? Just to plug it, because some of my listeners might not be hearing this until July. Yeah, so it'll be July 12th, my grandson's birthday, and it'll be on all platforms, but Amazon, of course, that has the big lion's share of book sales. Yes, yes. Amazon, um, my my chapter in my book is available, by the way, everyone, uh, my badass story on Amazon as well, so you can check that out. Um, but I wanted to hear, do I, do I hear a little bit of a Southern, a Southern accent? Oh yeah. I'm from central Florida originally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, a lot of my family is in Charleston, South Carolina. So I love, I'm a big lover of the South. Um, I wanted to just kind of get into your story. So, um, I know that you've been through quite a bit in your life and sometimes sharing our stories and sharing our past can be difficult. Part of the reason that I do this is so my listeners know that they're not alone and there's always, there's always someone out there that is available to listen. So share your stories. Um, my last guest, Eric DeRosa, who was just on, was telling a story about how hard it was to be open to telling people about what he was feeling on the inside. And he spent years hiding it. And I think a lot of people, including myself, were hiding from their trauma for so many years. And I just wish that more people would speak up and it would be easier for everyone if we were just honest about our issues. So um, I'm very grateful to you that you are being open and writing your book and willing to share what you've gone through in your life. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Yeah. I've been doing this work for um, teaching others for 19 years. So sharing my story of my childhood had to be healed. You know, memory with emotional charge, you haven't learned the lessons. So memory without emotional charge is wisdom. Deepak uh, Chopra, my teacher, and I worked at the Chopra Center and learned from him. He would always say, use memory, don't allow memory to use you. So when we haven't healed, yeah, there's a lot of emotional charge. I don't have that. I'm a teacher of this work. I've been doing it long enough. Certainly writing the book, it 
you know, things resurface when you go into such detail of a trauma, mm-hmm. you know, the, the weather, the way the room looked, the smell of my father's alcohol on his breath, like things like that kind of re-triggered some old ancient, you know, wounds. But thankfully I have tools. I have an emotional healing system. So I was able to navigate it. But yes, I have no problem talking about any of it. I'm very transparent. Before we get into the story, can you tell me a little bit about what you do? Because I find it fascinating. And also you might, I might need to come see you because (laughs) it is true that, um, I'm actually writing my book right now and I'm procrastinating like you wouldn't believe because I can remember I'll sit down to write and I'm just like, I I run away from it because I, like you, I can remember sounds, smells, um, things that are really hard. And I know that I'm not there where I've got really gotten through the trauma. So can you tell myself and my listeners a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So when I began this work, I, you know, I had done a lot of therapy. I'd went to school for psychology. I kind of understood the psyche, but I wanted, I knew someone out there had the answers. Right. And so I began to really, I'm 57 now, you know, I began this journey really around 20, like really, you know, I woke up around 12 and a near death experience, but around 20. So I began to really, gather the wisdom and the information from, you know, teachings, mystical teachings, ancient teachings that predate Buddhism, you know, that Buddhism was birthed out of that comes from the Vedas and 6,000 year old teachings. So I created this emotional healing system. I launched it in 2010. I've been doing this work since 2004, but I really by that point in 2010, I had all the different modalities. And I realized if I could take someone that is functioning, but they're not at their peak in their life, like they really know that there's more, they're not sure of who they are, their purpose, they they went down a path and it quite wasn't the path they thought it was going to lead, whether it was marriage, career, whatever. And so the foundation is, it really is an alignment with emotional intelligence, so the foundation of an emotional intelli- emotionally intelligent person is self-awareness. So I became a meditation teacher because what better way to have self-awareness is to meditate. And meditation, there's a lot of myths about meditation. I believe that until you really put your money where your mouth is and hire someone to teach you how to meditate, and you if you just try on an app and stuff, it becomes very difficult. The mind's a thought-producing organ, right? So... Meditation is key. So I I became a meditation teacher through the Chopra Center with Deepak out in California. And then I began to kind of understand the psyche. So you got to teach somebody, you go to therapy, and that's top down, right? They're, They're not looking at why you're depressed, the root cause. They're just here, take a pill or talk to me, I'll ask you some questions. And this is the the system of Western medicine, right? It It's really a sick care system. It's not a well care. They're not taught in their defense, a therapist, to help you really delve in 50 minutes to an hour into the root cause of why you're depressed, right? So the emotional healing system is meditation foundation. Then we move the client into understanding the psyche. 
and and really simplifying it. So we do it through two different teachings. One is called psychosynthesis. So imagine you had a big circle and on that circle, Megan, in the center, we would put you and your personality radiates, right? This is psychosynthesis. You have different parts. You show up one way on your podcast, this way with your kids. You know, we have all these parts of ourselves, and some of these parts we've abandoned, we've denied, we've disowned, and they become shadow parts, both light or dark, right? Like, I don't like my bitchy self, or I don't like my selfish self, or I don't, and we start to split off. Even the light parts, those are probably even harder for people to embrace. Like, I'm brilliant, or I'm, you know, deserving, I'm worthy. You know, some people are like, minimize themselves and play small. And so we start to teach them. So they get this idea of, oh, this is how my personality, my psyche was formed based on experiences that I had as a child in developmental conditioning years, which is birth to seven. And we use, you know, hypnotherapy to go back to memories during that time to, to help the client have awareness on experiences they had where they extracted some false beliefs, some disempowering belief, like I'm not good enough or I'm unlovable or I'm, you know, something like that. That becomes like an operating system to a computer. It happened under the age of seven. You don't remember it. Now you're 25, 35, 45, whatever. And you're experiencing, you know, a lot of challenges. You're not moving through them because deep root cause is when you were little, your operating system began to filter everything out of this place of I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, whatever that belief was, right? So we have to go back to those memories so you can extract them and then change them, replace them with the truth. I am lovable, I am deserving, I am good enough. So that's, you know, it's there's a lot of teaching, so it's very educational, but now knowledge without application is ignorance. So we can't, Megan, teach you all these tools without then teaching you how to use them, right? It's like going to a workshop where you learn a lot of things and then it just goes right out the window. You read a self-help book because they didn't give you practical application, right? So this, the retreats that we lead in this emotional healing system, we're teaching someone how to use these principles that are very practical in their life day to day. Where have we... you been on my life? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> you. Like, this is exactly what I need, actually. So, Because I think you're right about therapy. I mean, I love, I've been in and out of therapy my whole life. I've been on medic medication. I've tried tapping. I've tried, you know, a lot of things. And I do talk a lot about the brain. And for me, I had very early, I, my sister died right in front of me at the age of two. So I have all this like pent up memories and trauma. And obviously our brains are not fully developed until we're in our late twenties for women. So, um, so I offline after we're done, I, this is something I need. And it's a weird thing because sometimes I have people come on and it, and I believe in things happening when they're supposed to in life. I say this a lot and 
I was in the worst. I mean, sometimes when I record, I record once a week. I'm in like the worst mood. I'm also like very open and honest that I'm in my late 40s. I'm struggling with like perimenopause and all the things that women struggle with. And we have our mornings, you know, where we're like this. I'm not I I've I struggle, but then I also struggle with childhood memories that I push down. So I'm so looking forward to hearing more about what you do. And Mm -hmm. also the fact that you can talk about your pain and your trauma and not get upset and, and not get stuck on it. So that's what I need in my life. I'm sure a lot of my listeners do as well. So this is really, I'm very grateful that you came on because you, I needed you at this exact moment to tell me about what you're, you do with your life. And I can't wait to read your book. Very excited. Thank you. So thank you. Um, so do you, do you mind kind of going into the story of your childhood experience, um, your childhood trauma for my listeners and myself? Right. So I'm, you know, certified in trauma And there's different types of trauma, right? There's archetypes of trauma. You know, there's really intense, like I shared, the adverse childhood experiences. You know, that's Mm -hmm. intense trauma, neglect, abuse, sexual, mental, physical. So I had all of that. I scored 10 out of 10 on the ACE test. And, but there's first trauma, there's intergenerational. So we're bringing trauma through the family line that we know now. And they've done that through research, you know, where they took rats and they sprayed it with rose water and shocked them and then stopped doing it and just did the rose water. They still reacted as if they were getting shocked, then waited a while. Then the rats gave birth, never shocked the rats again, never shocked the baby rats, just sprayed the rose water and the baby rats acted, behaved like the parents did. Wow. So we begin, we now know, you know, research science, we were starting to see, oh, there's trauma that's handed down. It might be what the Bible meant when it said the sins of the father are handed to the, so to be a cycle breaker, to be a disruptor in that process, first, you obviously have to have awareness, but here's how it goes. So there's intergenerational trauma, check, had that, right? And I talk about it in the book. I share with everybody so they understand my mother's story, my father's story. And it was the perfect storm to create, right? My story and, and all the intergenerational trauma. Then you have pre-conscious and pre-cognitive trauma. So imagine you're pregnant. My mom's pregnant with me. My dad's abusing her. He's beating her. He's, he's verbally abusing her. He's cheating on her. So guess what? I'm getting fed a steady diet through that umbilical cord. Cortisol, right? Adrenaline, noradrenaline, all the stress chemicals flooding my little growing, developing body. And um, so I was breech and I was, the cord was wrapped around my neck. During my training as a hypnotherapist, I saw that I did it. Now, do I know that for sure? No. You know, a few people have read the book and they're like, I said, listen, it's more poetic to let the reader know that even in the womb, you can be traumatized. Nobody doubts it when you talk about somebody doing cocaine or heroin and being pregnant or drinking mm-hmm. alcohol. It mm-hmm. affects the baby. Well, mm-hmm. believe me, if the mother is in chronic stress, the baby's in chronic stress. So I'm born into this family, very dysfunctional, you know, very addiction. My mom had mental illness. 
and she was diagnosed with back then they called it um they called it manic depressive it's um bipolar mm-hmm. and she was bpd borderline personality and she had um she had clinical depression major depressive episodes but that was a part of also the bipolar she wouldn't stay on meds so uh, my earliest memory i'm four years old my dad's trying to suffocate her with a pillow and i come and find that then you fast forward you know there were just so many i would witness a lot of violence fighting my mom beat my aunt up i've witnessed that then by the time i'm eight my mom has a psychotic break and she takes a shotgun and puts it to both my brother and my head and she, um, I didn't find out until I was an adult, my mother, myself, when I finally had the courage to confront her about that because we were taken away, lived with family members, which ended up being more traumatic than even that, believe it or not, crazy as that sounds. Um, and she, you know, when we reconciled with my mom, I was always scared of her and started to have a lot of suicide ideation and not wanting Mm -hmm. to live and then but the gift you know I'm always curious if we can look at life happening for us and not to us so one of the gifts of all the trauma of my childhood was my ability to connect to spiritual guidance and you know because I made my inner world more real than the material world So I would go into my imagination, right? It was really disassociation, but I would use my imagination, right, to create a different reality than the one I was living in. Now we teach that, right? That's manifestation. Use your imagination. Create the future you want to create with elevated emotion. I was doing that as a kid as a result of the trauma, where you were doing that as a kid, I did the same thing as as um to as and as an ex. I can't speak today as an ex- escape, right? To protect yourself, to right. protect a layer that you couldn't. I did the exact same thing. I would escape into characters or into like acting or singing or whatever it is. I think that's really common with aces too, from what I understand. It is, it, but the way that I did it was yeah. more creating an imaginary world that I was living in within myself. I didn't act it out or anything. It was a very, I was very introverted. Yeah. And so I would just go internally. And now, of course, as a meditation teacher, I live that way. Very, you know, inner experience versus an exterior experience, right? I'm not always looking out outside of myself. I look within And I I think, you know, I developed that at a young age and began to get downloads and downloads of like the truth, you know, that that this world, you, you know, Jesus said it, be in it, not of it, that this is not my home, that, you know, I'm this eternal, immortal being. So I really, really was a deep thinker at a young age and the ability to process information and realize like everything was temporary. And if I could get through this, probably by the time I was nine, I was aware this too shall pass. I'm going to get through this. We've had bad times before. It'll get better. And all I have to do is just hold on until it's better and then trust that it's going to happen again because it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I I was tearing up when you were sharing your story. Um, but I I love 
some of the things you said, I can relate to a lot of what you said, but the, that you escaped into your spirituality and that you're a really spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when, what I found from doing this for the time that I've done it is the people that have gone through, this is just my opinion. And I say this often, the, the worst kinds of pain and the hardest things in life are to me, the most fascinating. And I'm attracted to those souls. Um, I think that we're here like for such a short period of time, like I have no idea how I'm the age that I am. I still in my head sometimes think I'm like 13 years old. <laughs> you know, life goes by so fast. It and um, the experiences, whether they're good or bad, or for example, last night, I woke up. I don't know if this ever happens to you. I woke up and from a very deep sleep. And I remembered this memory from my when I was in my early twenties of a guy breaking up with me and how Mm -hmm. devastated I was because he was like my first real love. Okay. And he broke up with me. And I remember I was living in this disgusting apartment because I was trying to be an actress and go into the city right after college. And I lived in this like basement of these people's house. And it was my first apartment by myself. And he came over and he broke up with me. And I was all of that, like trauma from my childhood, like so many times, like just comes back and I got physically sick. I started throwing up and in my dream, I hadn't thought about this experience in, I don't even know how long I really had, but like, I could see it. I could see the walls. I could see the paint. I could see all of these things. And I I don't know why I'm talking about this right now, but it is, it just reminds me of kind of what you're saying about how these memories, like these things can come up and they also like, there's a spiritual reason for it that we're connected in, in ways that we don't even understand. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you're going into dream state, really in that astral realm, you know, the psyche is showing you still things, maybe that even presently in your life that you need to look at. So that Mm -hmm. rejection that happened so long ago that you didn't have the tools, let's say, to process it, to digest it and to make peace with it gets stored in your psyche. It's what somatic, you know, soma in Greek means body. So we hold things, the body keeps score. So we hold things in our body. Cells have memory. Every individual cell, trillions of cells in our body are so intelligent that if you put one on a Petri dish and put bleach near it, it'll move as far as it can from the bleach. So Imagine the cells in your body, you have an experience, you store this trauma because you didn't know how to process it and heal it, but -hmm. it's around rejection. So what I would encourage you to do is look in your life and see where is, where are you feeling rejected? Where maybe are you rejecting yourself, judging yourself, pushing yourself harshly, criticizing yourself? You know, nothing's ever good enough because certainly when I was rejected by men, I internalized it. It picked the wound that we were talking about before of the belief that I wasn't good enough. Oh, see, I'm not good enough. You know, these guys don't like me. I'm just, you know, I'm trash. That's what happens to girls like me. I was raped in college. 
never thought to go to the police. Like that just is what happens to girls like me. I'm, I was called white trash as a kid, you know, I took that label on. And so, you know, what I would say is in reparenting, you know, wise little one is our emotional self. That is our inner child and it's our emotions. So the emotion that comes up around rejection and, and not being wanted, feeling unwanted, you know, maybe you got that from, I was working with a male client recently in a private retreat and he, his wife cheated on him and he was very devastated and he came to me and he's going through the divorce and he said he had experienced it before where girls broke up with him or women and he was, you know, he's just this great guy and why is this happening to me? We go back to six years old, he's at a store and he had already had some experience, but this was the big one. And he had three siblings and he was the, the middle and there was four of them. He was the middle child. And um, they were on some road trip. They stopped at a convenience store. He was left there for almost 30 minutes before they realized they didn't have him. That event was so scarring to this man. And hypnotherapy, we brought it forward, that that little six-year-old boy was emotionally arrested developed. He hadn't developed emotionally beyond six years old. He still looked at the world like, oh God, I'm going to get left. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad didn't want me. I'm unwanted. I'm invisible. I'm not important. And guess what? Every woman he was in a relationship with mirrored it back. And that's what happens because we're an operating system. It's like a computer. You can't run software on a computer if it's not compatible with the hardware. And if your hardware, using that analogy, is I'm unwanted, I'm invisible, then you can't attract a woman or a man or a relationship that's going to reflect back to you you're wanted and you're, because it doesn't, it's not compatible. You're going to attract, like attracts like, birds of a feather flock mm -hmm. together, opposites mm -hmm. don't attract. You're going to attract someone to reject you, to, you know, not want you. And then that reject, and then you repeat the cycle, repeat the cycle. The way out of the cycle is to become aware you are the one responsible. You are the one that's creating that reality based on, think about your brain. You know, Megan is like a, a reel at the movie theater. And it's got all this film on it of the past. And for him, that reel a lot of it was that event that happened when he was six. Then he projects it out the lens of his eyes onto the world, right, which is his movie. And his movie as a leading man was, oh, God, if we were at the theater, we'd have been like, come on, dude, believe in yourself. Like, yeah. you know, we'd been encouraging him, but he couldn't see it because he was in the forest. He couldn't see the trees. You know, he had he didn't have perspective. He didn't have tools. He didn't have the knowledge. Once you give someone the knowledge, the awareness, they practice it long enough, they can start to reparent that wounded child that feels unwanted and rejected. How? By letting them know, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm advocating for you. I'm setting boundaries for you. You know, I don't allow people to treat you a certain way. That is true reparenting. And regardless of how well our parents did as children, they're imperfect. So they made mistakes. And there's different types of archetypal parental trauma. Nicole LaPrea, the holistic psychologist, I love her book, um, How to Do the Work, this book. 
Uh, if you don't have it, I highly recommend it. She talks about archetypes of childhood trauma in there. And she says that there's, and I never heard anyone so eloquently break them down. And so there's parents who don't see or hear us, right? They, they're working all the time. They're providing for us. They think they're being a great parent. But we go to talk and they're exhausted and they're not present. Or it's a trauma for a child. It's not like having a gun put to your head. But listen, mm -hmm. that's still a wound for that child, right? And it has to be respected. Um, another one is parents who don't model good boundaries. They talk about the other parent to the child. They parentify the child. They, they go in and read the child's diary or, you know, things like that. There's um, parents who live vicariously, you know, the old, you know, um, stage mom, stage yeah. mom. Yes. Thank yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Or the sports dad who's, you know, pounding mm -hmm. on the side of the sideline and acting like a fool. Um, and then there's parents who, um, oh, I, I, I'm probably missing a few, but it, you know, we receive trauma in many different ways. And until we take responsibility that we're not a victim of our childhood and we're not a victim of men rejecting us and leaving us and that, we have a response ability to ourselves. And that responsibility is our ability to respond to those things that happen in the past, in the present. And if we don't know how to, then I promise you, there's people like me, there's books like Nicola Prea, there is help out there if you want to take responsibility. But let's face it, most people, Emerson said, or maybe it was Thoreau, said most men lead lives of quiet desperation. They live mediocrity. And no one, you know, it's like they're not really challenging themselves to take responsibility because victimization is very, you know, it's very easy to just be like, woe is me, right? Poor well, me. Let me ask you a question. Everything you've said, by the way, is so fascinating. I've never heard the rat analogy. I haven't heard so many of the things that you've said, and I find it I actually find it, uh, it gives me like hope and peace. And I hope my listeners yeah. that are listening right now maybe feel the same way because it's something I needed to hear. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. 
like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, how were you self-aware enough at, in your twenties, for example, to start doing the work? Great question. Okay. So what I'm about to answer could be a little out there considered woo-woo for some people, but it's something Woo-woo that... away. I love okay. it. Any, the more the woo-woo, the better in my opinion. Okay, Go good. You're my people. I, I, so... I know that. I know we're each other's people. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um... I guess it was probably 10 years ago. I was leading a retreat in Florida and a young woman came up to me. Well, I had offered a scholarship to this soccer mom. And at the end, she said, I'd like to give you a reading. And I'm, I don't tend to, I don't do psychics because I don't want anyone to plant into my mind anything. So we all know this idea of soul age, right? Mm -hmm. So this girl, I did it because it, it was like I gave her a gift and she wanted to reciprocate. So I let her do this reading, although I was kind of doing an internal eye roll, you know, like, okay. Mm-hmm. But it was fascinating. It was so fascinating that it really got my attention. And it was called the Michael Teachings. This is what she was channeling this information to me. So I get home and you know how when you get synchronicities, you know, the universe is telling you like you heard somebody talk about a book, turn around, then you see the book or somebody else tells you about the book and you're like, okay, I'm getting too many messages. Yeah. Well, that happened. I came home and somebody reached out on Facebook that lives here in Santa Fe. And she said, do you know this person? And she said his name. And I said, yes, it's somebody I have a lot of respect for. He's an adjunct professor at UC Berkeley. He has two masters, super, and he's a shaman. And he owns a shamanic school. She said, did you know he channels the Michael teachings? Well, first of all, I'd never heard Michael teachings. And I was like, and I'm getting to your answer, so stay with me. So I was like, okay, this is really weird. I just met this girl in Florida, and she mentioned Michael. Now you're telling me somebody I respect is a champ. Okay, so I call up his office, and I make an appointment. As soon as he did my reading, it was identical. I did not tell him about the woman in Florida. It was the identical reading to what she gave. So then I was like, okay, this is blowing my mind. There's some truth to this. And then he began to explain to me. He first asked me a question. He said, Jana, when you were a young girl, and he knew nothing about my childhood, he said, did you, were you ever aware that even though, and he said, I know you had it hard because you came in to this life ready to correct karma. It was almost like he described me like, like, bring it on. I'm ready. Like, I've got things to do. Come on, let's get to work. And I was like blown away. And he said, did you ever, even though you had it hard, were you ever aware that, well, you weren't born in the Congo having your vulva cut out or 
you know, life expectancy in your 30s. And, and I was. I had an awareness, even though we were poor, food stamps, trailer, the whole thing, that I still had it better than a lot of people on the planet. So I focused mm-hmm. on the good. And, and I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, that's because you're not an infant soul. And I said, infant soul? I've never heard that. He said, yeah. He said, souls on the planet that are really struggling, survival, right? Yemen, parts of Africa, even here in the U.S., there's baby, there's infant souls. Um, and he said, because you're not an infant soul. So I was like, okay. And, and I said, and then what? And he goes, well, then the soul moves to baby. Now, babies, this is very interesting. This liberated me, what I'm about to share with you, brought me so much freedom because I grew up in fundamentalist Christianity in Bible Belt, Central, Southern, like, you know, and that none of them, they all think I'm going to hell and I'm of the devil yeah. because I don't believe the way they do anymore, right? And so he he said, um, baby souls, babies have stranger danger. Think about your children. When they're little, they seek for familiarity. He said, baby souls are characterized by fundamentalist religion, whether it's Muslim, Christianity, whatever it is, but it's my way or the highway. And they'll go to war for it. They'll kill for it because they're babies. And he said, so the next time, you know, one of your family members or somebody's proselytizing to you, telling you're going to go to hell, if you could view them through the lens of, oh, bless her heart, it's a baby. You wouldn't get mad at a baby, a toddler, right? And I was like, no. And he said, because that's just where their consciousness is. They haven't, you know, passed that. They need to be told what to do. Don't go in the road. Don't do this. So they look to books and to people to tell them what to do. Then soul advances to young soul. Now, young souls are very materialistic. America, China, we are young soul countries predominantly, collectively. And a young soul is really interested in competition. They, You are somebody they want to get something from. It's all about consumerism, success. Think Trump, young mm-hmm. soul. Mm-hmm. Um, then we move on to mature soul. Mature souls are very interested in relationship, understanding themselves and each other, um, healing relationship. There's a lot of drama too in that soul age. And then we what move to soul old is soul. That? That's mature. Soul? Oh, I'm mature soul. I think. Go ahead. Mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we wouldn't be having this conversation if you weren't up there. So mature <laughs> soul. Yeah. And then it's not a hierarchical. You know, this teaching really admonishes getting into this idea of spiritual superiority. Oh, I'm an old soul. I'm better than you. Like, no, it's just everybody's operating at their own point of reference, right? Of Based on how many lives they've lived in a reincarnationist perspective. So then you get to old soul. Old souls are visionaries in the beginning. They are here and they know, like from a young age, I knew I wanted to make a difference in the world. I knew mm-hmm. that my path. So you asked me the question, how did I navigate it, you know, in my 20s? Because I'm an old soul, there was things that were left over, residual, they would call it bijas, seeds in Sanskrit, of memory from my previous incarnations embedded in my soul. So, of course, I knew things that would be on my years because I'm an old soul. So I would look at the adults around me, which I was around a lot of baby and young souls, not even mature souls, and it's like I, I probably set it up that way so I wouldn't listen to them at all or respect them. 
right? Like my soul we, knew. We, do you believe that we choose? Like, oh, even, absolutely. Yeah. So I believe that too. Cause it, people say that and they're like, you chose this life, you know that. Right. And I'm like, why would I have chose all that stuff? But I like, I believe it. I believe it. So I love that you, and everything you're saying, by the way, I believe every yeah. single thing you're saying. And I find it fascinating. But go go ahead, go on. Yeah, my teacher, Brian Weiss, Dr. Brian uh -huh. Weiss, he wrote Many Lives, Many Masters. So he's been my teacher since 91. And I trained with him and his wife, Carol, in, in regression therapy. And past, you know, when I read Many Lives, Many Masters, my daughter was 10 months old. She's 35 now. And the book was so profound because that was when, and you'll read it in my book, Wise Little One, when I got the thought from the field, from the universe, downloaded in this thought based on what he was saying in his book, Many Lives, Many Masters, that what if I did choose those parents? What if I contracted with them for some lesson, for some purpose that my soul's here for? Because I believe we're all unique and we're here for a unique purpose to give a gift that was endowed within us by the creator. And so I began to look at myself like, damn, I'm a badass soul. I chose some heavy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and then that empowered me because I started yeah. going, whoa, like I got this. If I chose that, man. Yeah. Come on, I can do anything. <laughs> but I love though that you you had this self like I know what you're saying. You are an old soul. I I believe in everything you just said. But even no matter where you are in life, to be self aware enough. When I meet young people that are self aware like that in their twenties, to say, you know, instead of running from the trauma, which I did, you know, till my forties. And I'm still running from it, to be honest. That's why I need, we need to work together because I need help. Um, it, it, it's, it's a gift that you give yourself. You know, like you said, it's your responsibility. The trauma happened. It's your responsibility to get over it and work through it. You can exactly. hide all you want. You can hide all you want. I say this all the time. You can hide all you want. I got, I was so bad at one point that I was suicidal for a solid six months of my life. Oh. I wanted out. I had the dream. Like if on paper you saw me, you would go, oh, you have these beautiful two little girls and a husband and, oh, you live by the beach in California. No, I wanted out. I wanted out. And that's when it's like, okay, you have to do the work. And I keep kind of creeping up to doing it. And then, and I write this book and I have this podcast and I do all this stuff, but I'm still hiding from it. So when I meet somebody like you, it's fascinating because your life has, has been hard and I don't even know everything. I can just tell there's something about you, you know, that it's, I, I just am always amazed by people that take their life back and do the work when they're young. And so yeah. I think we all have something I think to learn from you. How old were you when you had your daughters? I had my daughters late. So I had my daughters in my 30s. Like part okay. of me is a young soul. Like I'm very immature. I love a nice purse. I, I am materialistic. Oh, I, me too. I, yeah, I love, <laughs> I have my my millions and millions of flaws. Yeah. Um, but but I had my kids in my 30s and my mid 30s and and late 30s and um and 
you know, I was, I was just immature. I still am. I still you love know, a fart joke. I still like stupid stuff, but me but, too. And yeah. I think that's enlightenment, you know, enlightenment, yeah. seriousness is a sign of self-importance. Mm-hmm. So when we lighten up, the word enlightenment has light, you know, we, we need to lighten up. And, and I'm like you, I mean, I get Botox, I love to look pretty, I'm almost and 60 you do, years by old. the way, I was going to say that in the beginning, I was like, when you said your age, I was like, what? Go to YouTube, everyone. Don't look at me, but look at Jana. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. But yeah, I want to look my best. I, yeah. I Little Jana loves it. She loves a new dress. She loves to be adored and beauty. But, you know, self-love is more than just all the externals, right? So mm-hmm. I broke it down to six. Would you like me to share them with you? Please. Okay. So the way to love ourselves, I used to get really frustrated because, you know, back when I was in my 20s and really was beginning on this self-discovery, self-actualization journey, I would read all, you know, Psychology Today and all these self-magazine and all these, and it I could never really get like, what is self-love? How do I do it? You know, it's like, take Calgon, take me away, or, you know, yeah. some, go get Manny Petty or a massage. Okay, so the first way is emotionally. So I want you to think about your most important relationship is the one with self, right? Because it originates every, if there's no you, there's no you, right? So number one's you. So if you're brushing your teeth in the morning, so if you were in my head in the morning when I brush my teeth, I look in the mirror and I say, I love you, Jana. You, You did a great job yesterday. I'm really proud of you. I talk, I speak to myself like a loving mother would to a child. So I encourage myself, I say, and I've just attached the habit of brushing my teeth with emotional love. So I just, um, one of my love language, number one is words of affirmation. So I pour it on, man. Little Jana can never hear enough. Like, you're a good girl. You're so pretty. You're so sweet. You're so kind. I just give it all up. So that's emotional. We're always having a conversation with self. We want that conversation to be uplifting and encouraging. Is mine all the time? Of course not. I'm human. You know, yesterday, one of my little chickens got pecked and killed by a bigger hen, one of the smaller ones. And I had a really hard day and, and I was kind of internalizing. It was my fault And beating myself up and I had to go make, you know, reconciliation with myself. I'm sorry. You know, I was hard on you and just really loving myself. So emotional, then spiritual. So meditate every day. You know, I'm a meditation teacher. But I don't know how to meditate. So that's also why I'm working with you. Because when you said in the beginning, the apps, my brain is always moving. I'm sure my listeners can relate. I have that better, uh, whatever, uh, app. I forget what it's called. Here's why. Can I tell you, Megan, your mind is busy. Like everybody's mind is busy. So that's a myth Mm -hmm. that meditation. I'll ask somebody, what's the purpose of meditation? And what, guess what they say? To relax, to quiet the mind, to quiet the mind. Okay. And I say, no, I mean, that's nice. It is a byproduct of it, but that's not the purpose. And they're like, what? And of course, I didn't know this. I had to have my teacher, Deepak, teach me this, right? I didn't know. So the whole purpose of the the point, let's say, of meditation is to be aware when you are lost in thought. 
Because if you're aware when you're lost in thought, now you can come back to the present moment. If there's no awareness, in other words, I use that quote, you know, you're in the forest, you can't see the trees. You're so mm -hmm. in the thought, in the running of the, the monkey mind, that you don't have any spaciousness. So really the point of the meditation practice, and that is spiritual practice, is mastering the mind. Otherwise, we're a slave to it. If we become a slave to it, then the thoughts create chemicals. Those chemicals flood our body. And those chemicals are stress hormones. And so they then we start to get addicted to the very thing that we're saying we don't want to be, which mm -hmm. is addicted to sadness, addicted to anger, addicted to being depressed. And it's all just a story because we haven't mastered where the mind is. So every time you sit to meditate, think of it as you're going to the gym and you're building a muscle. And the muscle is, oh, lost in thought, come back. Oh, lost in thought, come back. And it's like an unruly child on a road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then it starts to wear down until it's quiet for a while. And you look in the back seat and you're like, oh, thank God they're asleep or, you know. So that's what happens with that internal voice. You, you don't, you don't get frustrated with it. You don't scream at it. You don't jump up from the practice. You just say, you come back to the breath and you just say, okay, lost in thought, come back. You don't analyze the thought. You don't even label it thinking. You just how keep long, coming how back. How long do you meditate for? We do 30 minutes in the morning and 30 in the afternoon. So an hour a day. Okay. Any that more than that. Really hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, again, but it's, a, it's a practice that you have to work on. Right. right. Like and it's else. not building up. I remember the first time when I was, lived in Carlsbad, when I went to the Chopra Center and yeah. he said 30 minutes, I said, can I build up to it? And the guy like scoffed at me. He's like, uh, no, you sit for 30 minutes. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> so I just did it. And I mean, within like a few days, like I was like, oh, OK, you know, and then I started to have the time would go by fast. You're talking about time accelerating. Like it would go by really fast. And then I would realize I wasn't thinking because to think slows everything down because mm -hmm. you're in your head. But as soon as you relax and you let go of the environment and what time is it and are we there yet and all of that, now you go into what we call the gap, which is space, space between thinking. You need space if you're going to be a good emotionally intelligent human. If you don't have the space, then you won't be. So going back to self-love, emotional, spiritual, physical, eating well, exercising, taking care of my body. Um, the next one is financial. You know, children do not thrive if the lights aren't on. Trust me, I was in that environment. You know, so financially, we want to take care of ourselves, right? Pay our bills on time, have savings, be debt-free if possible, Mm -hmm. Then the next one, organizationally, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. We need organized environments and spaces. We thrive in organization. And then the last one is relationships. How am I loving myself through the lens of a relationship? If I'm in a relationship with someone who's taking from me and it's not reciprocal energy, then I need to advocate for myself, set boundaries, and maybe in that friendship or that relationship because it's not in flow. So always putting my needs first, not consistently that it's all about me, but knowing that I'm the one responsible for how people treat me because we teach people how to treat us, right? A hundred percent. Yeah.
Do you, do you, mm. have you been able to foster? I, I know I remember in the beginning before we started, I was like, I never go over an hour. This is like an episode where I could go two hours because <laughs> I find you so fascinating in everything you've said. I'm just like, what? And then what? And then what do I do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you, do you, are you able to foster like good relationships and marriages. And I know you said you have kids because you did all this work from a young age. Yeah. So the word is cycle breaker, right? And I was definitely yeah. a cycle breaker in my family. So um, first relationship with self had to solidify that love myself. My first marriage, I wasn't in love with him. We were really good friends and great partners. And I believe karmically we had a contract to come together. I helped him raise his five kids Wow. He was older than me, um, and I think I was looking for daddy still, kind of like that. You know, I was still messed up. I was only 29 when I married him, and and I had a 7-year-old daughter. I had my daughter at 22. So that was the impetus you'll see in the book of me going, okay, I got to get my shit together because I do not want to repeat what my parents did to this child. Mm -hmm. And so she was my teacher in some way. I knew this soul was coming through me to teach me. And I had to get ready. I had to be a model for her to respect me because I didn't respect my parents. So that's what put me on the path was that pregnancy. And then by the time I married my first husband, we had success. You know, it was all part of the journey until I got to the place in my early 40s where I realized I'd always told him I'm not in love with you. Right. I did, we didn't have that intimate connection that I desired so much. I yearned for but I, I still had work to do. And by the time I left him, it took me, you know, I was still doing this work and teaching, you know, the teacher teaches what they most need to learn. I was definitely in that place in my forties still. Mm -hmm. And then I arrived, you know, at having the, the courage around mid 40, 44, and I left the marriage. And then I just focused on doing the work and it was hard. I dated one guy in, in all those years until I met my husband on that plane. So it's interesting. The book is a love story about how I fell in love with little Jana, but by doing that, she led me to my beloved. And it was a series of auspicious events. I was in Esalon in California at a retreat, and I kept getting this message to leave. I fought it. I finally left. Long story short, got on a plane the next day on a Southwest flight, pick your seat. I was the last one to board because I had just booked. I, you know, I was supposed to be leaving four days later, California back home, and I sat next to my husband, and the rest is history. And we have a the most compatible, healthy, conscious relationship. So, yes, my relationships, my daughter's 35. She is married to a very, married at 27, to a very conscious stable, loving, emotionally intelligent man who's very balanced in his feminine and masculine, the same as my husband. Mm -hmm. um, my grandson's seven. He's very emotionally intelligent. Three, we're having a birthday party for him. I'll give you an example. And it was getting a little too overwhelming. And he never pitched fits or anything because he's very respected. His emotions are respected. He's listened to. So at three years old, he decides that the party's getting too much. So he looks at all of us and he just says, I, all done. And we're like, all done. We haven't even opened presents yet. 
And he just walked in the house, went to his bedroom, put himself to bed, and just laid there for about 30 minutes. And we said, are you doing time in? Never time out. And he said, time in, time in. And he came back after a half hour, his nervous system had settled, and he could handle all the party again. Wow. Three years old. So he's an old soul. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, my, I'm, I've been married. I've been with my husband for many, many years and he, I met him in at 26 and, um, he is, he's a balance of feminine and masculine energy. He's able, I mean, he's not great about talking about his feelings, but he has that ability. I think he's an old soul too. And I always say, you know, I couldn't, and this is what I have to work on. I couldn't rescue my, I kind of needed his soul to come rescue me because mm. I was in such pain. So I'm like forever grateful to him. But my piece of what I need to do and the responsibility that I have as a mother and a wife and a human is to keep doing the work. Yes. And, and when you're stuck as a soul, it's really hard. So to hear like all the things that you're talking about is just, it's fascinating. It's a gift to meet somebody like you. Honestly, I really mean that. And I I cannot, I cannot wait to read your book. Mm -hmm. I really am excited. I kind of scheduled this very last minute and I, and Kelsey who works with you um, reached out to me and I was like, I need to meet this lady. I really, and sometimes, and sometimes I don't always feel like that. Like if I get an application or somebody sends me something, but I always feel like the need, like there's a reason why I talk to certain people at certain times. And when I'm recording some days, like I said, in the beginning, I was not in the mood, but I'm so grateful that I, I met you and, and you've told, shared with me all of these things. So, um, before we close, I, I know my listeners might want to, number one, they need to buy your book when it comes out, but where can people follow you? Are, are you on social media? I am, but I want to say something. You said you're stuck, so mm-hmm. you're feeling stuck. So we weave our lives by the story we tell. Remember, you're the leading lady. So yeah. if I was watching your movie, I would be hearing you create a story around being stuck you want to be really mindful and aware that there's so much power in that spoken word. So notice how it feels to say, um, like I'm, I'm in a space in my life where I'm in an in between. I'm not Mm -hmm. where I'm going to be and I'm not where I was you're not stuck. If you say you're stuck, you'll be stuck because you're you're sowing that seed, yeah. right? Yep, I'm yeah. stuck. I'm watering it. Then you're just going to be more stuck. But if you say, I'm in this kind of birthing, this midwifing myself to the next level, because we're always up-leveling, up-leveling, and up-leveling. If we're not, we get stagnant. The brain gets rigid. We, there's no modified change, you know, it's like doing the same thing, expecting different results, definition of insanity, right? So you want to be really mindful you're in, and this is life, a marriage or two people, they will get stuck and stagnant if they're not individually growing. Mm -hmm. So you're an individual and you've got to continue to evolve and grow, right? Life's going to demand it. Mm 
So just see it. Look in your past and see, oh, yeah, I've been there before. I thought I was stuck. I made it through. Okay. And now you're going to do it again. You're just going to, you're in the mid, the birthing phase, in the in-between, right? And it feels uncomfortable because you're not where you want to go and you're not where you were, but it's like you're not there yet. Yeah. And you've just got to take a deep breath, be patient with yourself and maybe say something like anytime that thought comes up, Megan, say like, you know, um, I'm excited at the thought and I'm so grateful. Gratitude holds a very strong emotional signature in the body. I'm so grateful that more and more every day I'm it, I'm starting to get really clear about where I'm heading or this next phase or, you know, a more positive, uplifting, higher vibration of where you are to where you're headed versus saying I'm stuck in the past because I don't believe you're stuck because the awareness that you feel you're stuck is exactly what's going to lead you out of being stuck. Well, I agree with everything you're saying, but I also, something that you said that I'm going to do every morning is I'm going to start talking more, speaking more nicely to myself, to yeah. my, to my wounded inner child. Cause she's very wounded. Look, and what's on my desk. See, I can't put see a, that. Put a picture of uh, yourself as I a little that. girl. Uh-huh. And I look at her, she's only three, little Jana, and I, and I have it on my, I have one on my, my, um, bathroom sink mm -hmm. taped up on the mirror and I look at her and I have her on my phone. If you saw my phone, look, I have picture of myself as a little girl and every time, you know, I turn on my phone, I see little Jana. Little Jana was cute. <laughs> I love it. And I, I look that. at her and I say, oh, baby girl, you know, I know what she went through and I know yeah. she needs me and she loves me. So I build this bond with her that's unbreakable. Right. And once you do that, man, you're invincible because then, you know, your worth, you know, your value, you know, inside that everything you're doing, you're doing for that little girl who struggled, that little mm -hmm. girl who didn't always have the best circumstances. Right. Oh, I love you. <laughs> I think you're so wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So can you say your book again really quick yes. and your socials so, and all of that for me? Yeah. Wise Little One. It'll be available July 12th. You can find me on JanaWilson.com and also emotional healing retreats. We have a couple of offerings coming up. We have a retreat in September, Megan. It's in Florida. It's five days. We just did San Diego, wrapped it in March. We usually do two to three of these retreats a year, these group events, and it's teaching the emotional healing system. We go through all the teachings, all the processes. It's a very rich, deep dive retreat. This isn't like, oh, we're going to do a little yoga and meditate. We do yoga and meditate, but we do hypnotherapy. We do breath work. We do a lot of deeper work. Um, do you, do you suggest for somebody like me or one of my listeners, do you suggest going to the retreat first or is there like something else we should be doing before going to the retreat? So as soon as someone signs up for a group retreat or private and my uh -huh. privates are booked until next year. So they're very much in demand and they're expensive. So the group retreats are more palatable 
you know, the that we've given, you know, the price range somebody who could afford it's a couple grand for food, mm-hmm. lodging, retreat, everything for a week. Whereas you come out here, it's ten grand for a week. You know, it's mm-hmm. a big difference. Mm-hmm. Then we were like, how could we do another offering? And that is an online retreat. So we filmed. We went into the studios last month. We filmed. We're going to be launching a course. That is, you have it for life. It's going to be under $300. And then people can sign up for that too on the Emotional Healing Retreats website. But to answer your question, as soon as you sign up for a retreat, you get a welcome letter. And in that welcome letter are books, two books you must read, documentaries you must watch. So there's pre-work to prepare you for the retreat because we don't want anyone coming and it being over their head. They don't understand the verbiage, the language Mm -hmm. we're using, their you know, and so we have a, a call with each participant, even group, and we usually have 30, 50 people at a group retreat. We have a personal call, my husband and I, or somewhere on our staff, where we teach them to meditate before they come. We kind of hold their hand to prepare them for the retreat. Because this isn't, as I said, this is this is intensive. It's We call it a retreat, but it's really an intensive <laughs> But, but you're able to walk out like like and deal with life, it sounds like. I mean, you are unrecognizable to yourself. I tell people that and they're like, whoa, what does she mean? And after the retreat, they look different. They feel different because now they have knowledge they didn't have before. And now they've got a workbook, a 62-page workbook we give them. And on the last page is daily practices. We leave nothing for you to guess what you need to do when you wake up, what you need to do throughout the day, and what you do as you're going to sleep at night. I mean, it's literally allows someone to say, okay, here's my guide. If I do this, these people are saying consistently for the next three weeks, I'm going to create new habits. Those new habits are going to rewire my brain and I'm going to become a different person. That's transformation. Oh, I love it. Jana, I think you're wonderful. I'm so grateful that we had this time together. Me too. Um, Everyone, if you're listening, please go. I I can't wait until July to read your book, actually. And and follow her, uh, janawilson.com. And in closing... Be happy by making other people happy. Thank you, Jana. I really appreciate your you being on today. It was Thank wonderful you. to meet you. Judging Megan with Megan Judge.